Is this the dagger? Illegal substitution, too many men on the field, Saskatchewan. Gizmo has a block and the sideline. He has not stepped out, he may go all the way. He needs one block and he'll do it easily. Promise mess I wouldn't do this. McDavid stops up, what a move, shoots, scores! Everybody, calm down, calm down. The, the elk, the herd, is a little disgruntled. We'll get to that in just a moment. Welcome to Podcast 83 on Season 3 of The Outsiders, which is powered by the Macintosh Group at REMAX River City. My name is Bryn Griffiths. He's Robin Brownlee. Hey, Robin, how you doing? I'm terrific. Best day of my life, pal. Well, look who's joining us today from CBC Radio in Edmonton. Very popular morning host, Mark Connolly. Marco. How you doing? Doing good? Good to talk to you. Yeah. Well, thanks for uh, joining us. This is great. Uh, Let's, before we start talking about sports and everything here, let's talk about your morning show on CBC in Edmonton, because you have absolutely surged and you do a great job with that show. Uh, You must be having a lot of fun. You know, Bryn, it's been eight years now. I started in the, in the fall of 2013, officially got the job, I think in December, actually that year. And, uh, it kind of surprises me how much I love it <laughs> because I did radio early in my career. And then for about almost 25 years, I was a television uh, sports reporter. And then I did a little bit of anchoring the news on TV, which I absolutely hated. Uh, <laughs> for three years, I did it because what it is, is you're reading the teleprompter, even though I might have written a lot of that. There was very little room to chit chat and talk and all that sort of stuff and, 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 uh, you know, go off the cuff, so to speak. Right. But then I started doing the, the morning show and I filled in first, that first week. And my wife, Allison said, so how's it feel? How are you going? I said, Oh, this is, this fits me perfectly. I love it. This just feels like I'm ready to go because you know, when you're a sportscaster and, uh, you guys would know, having both done sort of multimedia, even though, uh, you know, Robin was a newspaper guy for the most part, he, he's had to do a bit of radio here and that kind of thing. There's all kinds of different things you have to master, whether it's, you know, basically the, you've got to do the interviews, you've got to write it up in some form, you've got to present it. You've got all these different things. And of course, when you're on a radio morning show, all those things come into effect. So you, I've done a lot of those things. So when I got into that job, it fit me like a glove. And, you know, we had a really good team that that came, that was already there when I came on board. And I think maybe I was the last ingredient to help us, you know, go to another level. And yeah, we were number one within 15 months and uh, we've hovered around there ever since. So we, I don't think we've, even in a week, we, we've dropped below three. So it's usually one or two, and we're battling with a lot of really good radio stations in this city. It's competitive. It's a very competitive market, as you would know, Brent. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, I I started listening to the show quite a while ago, Mark, and, you know, I always thought of you first and foremost as a sports guy, but, I mean, you've developed some reach out there. I know that firsthand, uh, your show, and you were kind enough uh, on a couple of occasions, uh, you know, to do some stuff with uh, a Ronnie Lowe or other people uh, in helping us with that Hockey Helps the Homeless for the Mustard Seed. And right, great project. Yeah, I heard it on the, I heard it here, I heard it there, uh, you know, and that's always, uh, that was, all, that was great for what I was doing with, with the mustard seed, but talk a little bit about leaving the element that you came up with and uh, away from the hardcore sports. It's an adjustment and it's not always one uh, a person can make. You got to have the interest. You also have to have the ability to do it. Well, you know, I did sports for a long time. And I think when I made the transition from sports to being a news anchor, actually, I was just ready. I was ready for that. I was ready to move out of sports. I'd done it as a, from the time I think I was, 
I was 20 years old as a broadcaster in one form or another, whether it was, you know, when I first started in Fort McMurray and I did play by play of the oil barons up there and then moving to K97 and CJCA, I, I did a little bit of sidelines for Brian Hall, which was a great experience for me. So you didn't have and to then, talk much. I didn't have to say much at all. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then I worked a couple of years for ITV, which obviously turned into global after, long after I left them and then worked my way into CBC. So I'd done a bit of everything. And when I made the move, I said to the CBC, you know, I'd be interested. They wanted me to be the news anchor. I said, I'd be interested, but I don't want to give up the Olympics. And they said, well, you can still do the Olympics if you do this job. So I was ready for a new challenge and to do something different. I mean, it turned out that that was not news anchoring. I, I did not enjoy that very much. But when the morning show came up, uh, it just sort of uh, was really important to me because, you know, I grew up in Edmonton. I like the community. I want to be part of, you know, talking about, I'm a booster for Edmonton for sure. Everybody, everybody even knows that. Like, so I want to talk about the great things that are happening in Edmonton, but also critique the things about our city that may not be up to snuff. So we got to examine those sort of things and we get a chance to do that on my show. So I, you know, I enjoy that. I think frequently this is misunderstood by a lot of people. I've seen a few sports guys more than people would even imagine who've made the flip from sports to news because Sports is, as I've often said, is the toy department of life, right, for the yeah. most part. And we all care about what's going on with the governments. We all care what's going on in the community. We care about the other stuff, too. We just don't talk about it. And then you get this opportunity to go from sports, which is pretty narrow-focused, to talking about what really interests you. And there's way more than just sports that interests all of us. And you get a chance to, to do that and, uh, and have fun with it. I think the other thing for me too was that I was never like a stats guy. I had lots of friends who were totally into sports and they would be quoting things to me and I'd be like, oh, okay, I, I, I looked up the information that I needed when I was doing a story. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, we know there's lots of guys in this town that could have instant recall about a game that happened in, you know, 1998 when the Oilers were up three to two. I, uh, Bob I, Stoffer. I was there. Bob Stoffer. Like Bob is great at that. Encyclopedia. I mean, that's amazing. Yeah. And that's a great thing for the kind of show he does. That works really, really well for him. But for me, I was more of a story guy. So what is what are the elements of this story and how can I bring those elements together to make it a really interesting story for even people who weren't that into sports so that that style of me being a reporter kind of worked for me moving in into this venue mark we got a ton of stuff to cover but i do want to ask you something and we didn't really talk about this uh before you came on um sports coverage today be it radio be it uh uh online which is a huge factor now that wasn't as big a factor even a decade ago um Biggest change for you in the approach of the way uh, all sports are covered. For me, it's the immediacy. You essentially can break a story on Twitter in two seconds. What's the biggest shift that you've seen over the last decade, say? To me, it's been the specialization of all these reporters who they dig into the minutiae including the statistics of their sport. And they're really good at becoming an analyst of the sport. So you see guys like Darren Dreger, who we knew yep. here as a reporter and a news a sports anchor for a channel, recreating himself as an insider of the NHL. And he does a fantastic job at it because he's got the presentation skills, but he also has the contact. So he digs into that really deeply and they do it on a national basis. So they've got connections with every team. Unlike where you had a beat reporter say uh, for back in the day, the Eskimos, now the Elks or the Oilers, they would be the ones that are plugged into everything that was happening and had that access. Now it's, uh, it's, it's, it's other people who are a little bit further away from the team. They get access from different routes. So it's that specialization that I see that, that is, is a little bit different. And the minutia, which sometimes I find boring uh, and, and also kind of like, uh, we really need to talk about this specific thing about the third uh, line and, and their entries into the blue line. I mean, come on. <laughs> Look, Mark, let me ask you this too. And, and maybe I'm, I'm more making a statement than asking a question because I definitely have thoughts on it. Uh, It seems to me uh, a lot of the old journalistic rules are out the window. And just the way I phrase that probably lets you know where I'm going. Now it's the hot take. It's the, 
you might not even be able to prove what you're saying when you're saying it or typing it or throwing it out there. You'll get to that later. There's no editor saying you've got to spend all afternoon making phone calls to make sure you're right about this. Um, it's almost hot take. And if it's not right, worry about it later. That's not the way it used to happen. I don't think they worry about it later. I don't, I don't think they care. It's like it's put out there into the universe and they, it doesn't really matter. I agree with you on that one. I, and I've heard people say to me, Hey, I heard this. And I'd say, where'd you hear it? And then they hear a convoluted story about third hand and fourth hand. And I say, well, and people ask me about sometimes things you think, you know, and things you actually know for sure. So people say, hey, have you heard such and such? And I'm like, well, I've heard that. I've, uh, people have said that, but I can't say that it's true because I don't know for sure. I mean, you'd have to really dig into some of these things and have those great connections, of course, to, to verify things. But you're right. I think p- people do not verify. Now, CBC has a, a standard, uh, two sources, and this is for news, obviously, and what it would apply to sports as well. So we cannot go with a story from one source. Like it just doesn't happen. And I think that happens in sports a lot. Uh, and there is this rush to get it on the air or to get it on social media and be the first. And that has always been, you know, obviously as reporters, you always want to be the first. That's kind of a kudo, right? But I think there can be a rush to that. It's got to frustrate you because we're old time guys in a lot of ways, right? So, uh, to me, that's it's right, not Bryn. to me. Yes, that's right. <laughs> it's uh, uh, this just in. This just handed me uh, this bulletin. Uh, the thing that bothers me more than anything is I've never been a I've never been a get it out there first kind of guy. I've been a want to get it out correctly before anything. But now with social media, it's uh, there's this rush to get it out there in like a nanosecond, the moment you hear something, whether it's correct or not. And that really does bother me. It's got to bother you too when you see that kind of stuff happening. And it happens all the time. Yeah, it does. And some things are really wrong and they can, you know, these are people you're talking about. So, you know, it can affect when things are wrong, it can affect people. The one thing I will say that I'm also don't miss from covering sports is that basically the, if you want to call it the corporatization of, of the sports. So the Oilers, for instance, control their message very tightly. We can't, you can't get in there to get the mess, the, the stories that we used to be able to get when we used to be able to sit down next yeah. to a player and chat with them for 15 minutes, just about stuff. And then something would come up and you go, Oh, I never knew that about you. Can we chat about that? And then you would get that story and it would be different, right? It's see, and that's a great point because, and Robin and I talked about this a while ago, Jim Matheson, hall of famer, uh, great writer, but he's he was the kind of around the corner kind of guy. He would yeah. find out his story and he would move away from the scrum and he would take whoever and they go around the corner into the quiet part of the locker room and say, "Hey, tell me about this." And he would always get great stories. Terry Jones, Cam Cole, we could we could list a bunch of guys that we know that do it that yeah. way. Now that we've moved into this new world of uh, uh, you know the the new Zoom world where everything is just provided for us on a screen. You just don't have that relationship. And part of the fun no. for me was having this relationship with players where you knew a little bit more than just what you had to report. That's completely gone now. And older broadcasters and older writers, I think, are getting burned more because we miss we miss that. I miss that. Uh, have you noticed yeah. that? Oh, for sure. And, you know, there was also a respect of, you know, if somebody did have somebody off to the side, you weren't going to go up there and stick your mic in. Correct. Which- happened all the time where there's certain people in the media who basically were just mic stands. They're holding the mic and they'd get everything you were getting because you were asking the question. And yeah. That used to make me mad. One thing that I do like, though, about the new, uh, I guess if you want to call it generation, is that there are, it's a lot more diverse, right? We're three old guys right here, three old white guys, yeah. right? Now you have a, a greater diversity of people of color and you've got a lot more women who are part of it. You've got uh, people from different backgrounds. And I think that's really important because the people who are broadcasting to or narrow casting, depending on what, what it is, yeah. they come from all walks of life as well. And they want to see people that look like them on the TV, uh, on the radio. And I think it's become much more important uh, to do that. And you have a lot more people who have the skills to do it from all, from all kinds of different backgrounds. And that's fair. Yeah. Mark, I want to end this uh, Statler and Waldorf segment. uh, (laughs) uh, You'll have to Google that. I I do miss 
some of the old ways it was done. And in this way, uh, now it's all, even if we get out of the Zoom era, uh, and we can actually start getting within three feet of the people that are covered again, uh, it's all scrum. It's you get one shot, everybody yeah. in a big room gets to ask the same question. You do The people with experience, the people who have built trust over the years, where a player can say, you know what, call me at home later. And now you have a media relations guy in your face. Why are you calling so-and-so? Well, let's see. He's an adult and he gave me his phone number. If he didn't want me to have it, I wouldn't have it. Um, now it's sort of, yes, it evens the playing field, but I don't know that the playing field should necessarily be even. When I got here, it was like, I'd look at Maddie work the room and the stuff he would get because he was Jim Matheson was remarkable. I don't right. want everybody on the same playing field. No, I, I agree that that is a disadvantage to the sports media, but that, that is partly, uh, as we said, the, 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 you know, sports business, um, clamping down. They don't want, they want to control the message, right? Yeah. The problem is when you try to control the message, it becomes very convoluted and it becomes wrong. So then you get caught in a lie from their point of view. Uh, and it's like, well, you're your own worst enemy sometime. Uh, the other part of that that I don't like is, is when you've got uh, something happening in the greater sort of uh, world and you want to talk about that. They don't want you to talk about that. They don't want you to get into it. Oh, well, don't ask them that. Don't ask them this. It's like, you don't control what I ask or what I don't ask, even though they want it, they'd like to. Let's talk about the Olympics. There's been a, a bit of a discussion over the past seven days, mostly coming out of the U.S., about the potential for a boycott of the Olympics in Beijing coming up this, uh, this early spring or, or late winter. Boycotts. When I think of them, I think of obviously 1980, and I believe it was 84 in Los Angeles. Yeah. I just don't think that they work. Uh, you've covered how many Olympics? Uh, Eleven. Do you think they work? I don't think they work. I think they just punish the athletes. Um, if you were to try to boycott the Beijing Winter Olympics coming up in February, it's not going to punish China. It's going to punish your own athletes who can't go to the Olympics. I think and I agree, I can't remember who I saw put this out there, said, um, let them go to China and let their voices be heard because they'll never get a bigger stage in the world than at the Olympics. I think the IOC, which, you know, now I have to say, when you go to the Olympics, you know, I, 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 call, I would call myself a collaborator because, you know, I am part of the CBC crew. There's certain rules that you follow when you're part, when you're a broadcaster broadcasting something like the Olympics, just as there are with Hockey Night in Canada. You can call yourself a journalist, but you know what side your bread is buttered on. So there's certain rules you have to follow when you are part of that. So I, I realize that. But I will say the IOC historically is corrupt and they are not going to do anything against Beijing or even complain about it. I mean, you look at this, uh, the story about the tennis player, yep. uh, her name is, I think Feng Shua, she has been missing and the IOC said, Oh, oh the, the president said, Oh, I, I had a chat with her. And so everything seems fine, which you know, nobody right. believes, nobody <laughs> believes that. So uh, I think that, a I don't think a boycott would work. Um, and I think there's m many more things you, do they'd be more effective but unfortunately uh, well like the world tennis association basically said they're not going back to uh, china while this is going on that they've got to clear that up that is going to be a very costly thing for them to do uh, and i i think it is the right thing but it's going to cost them a lot of dough that's the first volley i guess we could say right <laughs> there you go yeah so many things over the years and and the one thing that experience provides is context and whether that's a, a sports reporter who's been around for a while or a government official who's been around for a while, things have, things change. Um, I love the Olympics, the idea of the Olympics. I grew up uh, at a time when flipping on the TV and seeing athletics being performed from a different country was still a big deal. The world's a lot smaller place now, Mark. Uh, it's not a big deal to see athletes from pick a country. The uh, the sight of it, the pomp and the circumstance of it, I think is lost because you can get on a Zoom call now with somebody in China. You can get on a Zoom call with somebody in, in South Africa. Um, it's not, wow, 
you actually, you know, does it need to change to go ahead uh, in a meaningful way? Um, because right now to me, it, the Olympics look like a couple things, a huge expense to the country that hosts them for yeah. no good reason, given the way the world economy is right now. And, uh it lacks a lot of what made it great in the first place. And like I say, that's the wow factor. Well, I think first, number one, to speaking to the expense of it, I agree. And there's been all kinds of proposals to try to lessen that where you would say you would not require a host city to build out all this different infrastructure, right? Where you could maybe rotate it between cities that already have something that works for them. So go back to different cities uh, that already have the infrastructure in place. And, and that would make sense. As for the wow factor, I think it's still there because I think it, it is every two years now, alternating uh, winter to summer, it's a gathering of the, the highest caliber of athletes in the world. Now, even though you're right, uh, the world seems like a smaller place because uh, so much is accessible online. You still only have this happening, uh, you know, every four years for your summer athletes that you're going to see the best in the world. So I think, I, I don't think that's affected by it. I mean, it's great when you see, say, a, a hometown woman like uh, Kelsey Mitchell uh, win a gold medal in cycling, right? It's, yeah. it's pretty exciting to watch that live. And it's coming across, uh, I think it was in the evening here, on a Saturday night when that, that, when she won that, uh, a lot of the stuff that was won in the middle of the night, because it was in Tokyo at the last Olympics. But I think that excitement is still there for Canadians and, and others around the globe. This goes a long way back. It might even go back to mayor Bill Smith in Edmonton, who was one who was pushing to have Edmonton and Calgary do a combined bid for a winter Olympics, because we had between the two cities, everything the only thing yeah. we didn't have was a bullet train between the two cities. They could have easily figured that out. Do you see that as being a possibility because it's a money saver? Vancouver just need to, you know, tweak their uh, facilities a little bit. I do realize that there's the politics of Quebec City might want to hold Winter Olympics, and because they are in Quebec, they might get the, <laughs> a shot at it. But do you ever see us going to more of a model where two cities like Edmonton and Calgary could host something like a Winter Olympics and do a shared cost? I think so. I think that it would work great. I think the political opposition to it would be huge. You saw what happened when they had the referendum in Calgary and people voted down a winter Olympics, which I thought made a lot of sense for Calgary. But uh, I think that the, the price of it is is a big uh, mitigating factor. So if it costs a lot of money, people are not going to want to do it. But if you look at you know the facilities we have between Edmonton and Calgary, I think it would make a lot of sense. And so uh, I think it'd be a great idea. Do we do we need to tweak, change, or completely revamp uh, the you know the structure, the IOC, and everything that isn't actually on the field of competition? Um, you know, is it a tweak? Is it an overhaul? What do you see? Things change, and this to me, uh, the structure that's in place, the infrastructure for the Olympics, seems like this monolithic, old, slow moving. Uh, uh, entity. I couldn't agree more. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. It is, <laughs> it is a mess, right? And, and you, you can, there's all kinds of documentaries and books you can read about the corruption of the IOC and how it works, the money flowing through there. And I think that the changes they have made have been incremental. In other words, they're like, okay, we're going to move this around here. So it doesn't look as bad, but I don't think it's focused on the athletes. It's, it's all about the people who are involved and how it works for them and how the money flows to them. I mean, the, the IOC makes a lot of money. They host the Olympics and they don't, they hardly spend any money in the, at the host country. They're, they're reaping all the benefits from it and, and not much of it goes back to the athletes. I mean, it's, a little bit, but yeah, I mean, the IOC, I mean, but, but who tears it down, right? Yeah. You've got to have a grassroots sort of swelling of, of local Olympic committees to push back against the IOC and say, no, this has got to change. We're not going to be a part of it. Hey, a last one on the Olympics before we move on to a couple of other things here. I want to talk to you about some of your favorite Olympic experiences and things that surprised you because uh, Jamie Campbell, good friend of ours at Sportsnet, mm -hmm. Uh, I still, uh, I'll never forget the experience he had in 2010 at the games in Vancouver where he was in the right place at the right time to call the right medals. 
it just seemed like everything was clicking for him and chatting with him during those Olympics. He says, I just can't believe I was there for that. Or I can't believe I called that. I didn't see that coming. You now you've had the experience with summer and winter Olympics, uh, cycling for the most part though, in the summer and in the winter was a bobsleigh. Yeah. So anything come out of there that just, and the whole experiences that you've been through that just really stand out for you. So many, I mean, I have so many great memories because I mean, I remember the day that I got the call and, you know, I worked uh, in Edmonton as a local sportscaster and I'd done some work on the Canada winter games up in Grand Prairie in 1995. And so I had talked to some of the producers. You get to meet everybody from CBC sports in Toronto, which is a big deal and that sort of thing. So I knew some of the people who worked there. And I, so I kind of stuck my nose in and said, well, I don't know. I mean, are, do they, are they looking for anybody at the Olympics? And they said, well, we'll, we'll give you a call. So uh, <laughs> in the fall of 95, I got a phone call and they said, Hey, Mark, I uh, got a call from CBC sports and they want to know, do you want to go to Atlanta for the Olympics? And I was, I was, I was standing in the newsroom and, there's and I, and I had the phone in my hand. I stood up and I went, can anybody see this? This is happening right now. <laughs> I mean, that was exciting for me. And I got to go to Atlanta. It was a great experience. And then from there, I I've had some really great experiences calling sports. Like in 98, I called bobsleigh for the first time at the Olympics and Canada won a gold medal. And they won it in a tie. Now, the, the interesting thing about that was five minutes before we went to air, uh, Clark Griffith was my color commentator, ex-bobsledder. I'm looking through all the things. I said to him, hey, ha- have they ever tied? Like, what happens if they tie? Because, you know, and he says, oh, yeah, they tied back in, I think he said, 1968. And they did a count back. And whoever was leading after the third run got the gold medal. He says, but they've changed that. If they tie now, they both get the gold medal. I said, oh, okay. <laughs> Good thing I asked because they tied and they both got the gold medal. And then go forward 20 years to 2018, I called another tie in the men's bobsleigh, this time between Canada and Germany. And so it was those kind of things are, are connected. And then 2004 in uh, Athens, Lorianne Munzer wins a gold medal, the first Olympic gold for Canada in cycling. It's in the women's sprint competition and Edmonton cyclist, somebody who I knew very well. And I talked to many, many times. So it was a thrilling to call her race. And then then again, uh, this year, I call another Edmonton cyclist winning another gold medal in the exact same event, uh, Kelsey Mitchell. So those kind of coincidences are fun. Uh, But the things off uh, off the tube, in uh, in 2000, I was with uh, Kurt Harnett. Oh, boy. So Kurt and I were in Sydney, which is one of the wonderful places in the world to go, in Australia, if you ever get a chance to go. We had such a good time off here it was it was it was off the off the hook it was such a fun place to be and kurt knew everybody he just retired from cycling he was so plugged into it we were going to all the parties for all the different people that kind of thing the first night we're at the moose uh i think they call it the moose uh, moose bar which they'd renamed it was on darling harbor at a big moose and that night on the first day of the olympics um simon whitfield had won the gold medal so he was there with his gold medal and every canadian in who was in town came to that bar and it was just a, a fantastic experience and and so, so 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 cool and i've had experiences like that where you're at the olympics and you just run into people from canada or from edmonton and it's just such an interesting you know you just feel so lucky to be there and to be part of it what's the best one then for you can you can you do that it's tough. It's tough. I think um, some of the best ones were um, for sure 2000 with Kurt uh, and 2008 in China with Beijing because Clara Hughes was my analyst in that one. And I, I covered Clara in my first Olympics in 96. She won the bronze medal and I was there for that. And I had to take her back to the station, CBC, to be interviewed. And so I got to know her a little bit and we became kind of friends ever since. We'd done the world championships together and then doing the Olympics was was a lot of fun. So, I mean, such great opportunities for me. It was really, really, really good. Now, before we move on, which we will, I'll just say this for the record. Going into what off the hook actually means is probably a podcast (laughs) by itself, correct? Yeah, correct, yeah. (laughs) Hey, and uh, finally on the Olympic thing, uh, you're not going this year. This is so you're going to miss that. I know. However, time yeah. mo- time marches on for all of us, right? 
Yeah, I found out uh, just about three weeks ago. Actually, um, I hadn't heard back. I hadn't heard. Usually, they they send you a note and say, uh, "Will are you willing to be part of the crew again? You want to be part of it?" And um, about four years ago, they uh, I used to go to Toronto to do bobsleigh all the time, and they said, "You know what?" Uh, I would go like six or seven times a year. And they said, that's expensive for us to bring you to Toronto. We can't afford to do it anymore. We're going to get Mark Lee to do it. Mark was in Toronto, even though he wasn't working for CBC anymore, he had been laid off. He was still a freelancer. They hired him to do it. So he started doing bobsleigh in 2018. Mark did women's hockey at the Olympics. And so I, I got to do bobsleigh, but this time around they're using the hockey night people from Sportsnet to do all the hockey. So they want Mark to do the bobsleigh. So they said to me, well, you won't be going. And I was, I was surprised. Like I'll admit I was surprised. I didn't really see it coming, but at the same time I was like, okay, I can accept this. I knew it would happen at some point or other. I, I you hope that you walk out on your own terms and say, you know what, I've been there, done that. And, and that's okay. And in some ways, because of the way we're doing it, in other words, I wouldn't be going to Beijing anyway. I'd be flying to Toronto and working midnight to eight. It makes it a little softer landing. Yeah. <laughs> I don't feel so bad about it because the experience of being in Toronto and doing the Tokyo Olympics was, you know, not as great as being there. Although calling the Kelsey Mitchell gold medal was fantastic. So you always hope to call a Canadian medal and that's exciting. But uh, so I don't feel so bad about it. Let's talk about football because you are from the Edmonton area. This has been, and we can, when we talk about the Canadian Football League, what has happened in Edmonton in, I'll say the last three years, is really beyond belief in, in my estimation. The whole thing from the Eskimos to the Elks, it's really hard to believe what's happened here in three years. Are you finding that a little difficult to believe as well? I'm really disappointed. You know, I, I grew up as a, as an Eskimo fan. Um, you know, I was 12 years old when my dad got season tickets and him and I went, despite the fact that I have, I had three other brothers, we were the guys who, who liked football. So I was there in Clark stadium as a child. And then when they flipped over to Commonwealth, uh, we had season tickets there. And then when I became a sportscaster, I, I loved you know, covering football. And I was, you know, as in, in my early part of my career, the, the Eskimos were winning gray cups and, and that was exciting. And, and all through the years I've been, I actually worked a few games for CBC, CFL on CBC. So that was always exciting for me. Football was kind of one of my, my first loves. I knew Dwayne Mandrusiak because uh, he was dating a girl I went to high school with and they later got married. They had kids and you know, Allison Ward was a really good friend of mine in high school. And so I knew her, her mom, Shona, who worked uh, in the office. So I had a lot of connections uh, to that football club. Um, and, you know, when they changed their name to the Elks, I was kind of like, you know what, that's probably time. Uh, I, it took me a while to get my head around it, but I kind of accepted that, that the reasons for it. And I thought, okay, Elks, Elks can work. Let's hope that works. The current regime of the team, and I am not close to it because I don't cover football on a daily basis, but just as an observer of, you know, and an Edmontonian, really disappointed with the way they've approached things. I just, I just seems to be there disconnected from the community. When they, when they, uh, you know, fired Dwayne Mandrusiak a year short of him working 50 years there. I mean, how, come on. Yeah. how is that work? Like, how do you come to that decision? And you think to yourself, who do you think you are? You're, you, I, I just, I just am, am flabbergasted by it. And I don't think they realize the level of sort of antipathy there is out in the community to a, a club that really relies on support from the community. I mean, it doesn't cost a lot of money to buy an Elks season ticket. It's not a huge investment. You only have to go to, you know, what, eight games a year, if, if that's how many or nine games a year, depending. So it's not a big investment there and people are willing to do that and they want to have a local team. Now, when you treat people like that and you see, I don't know, it's just an attitude that seems to be in that, in that organization. And then it's reflected on the field. Like it was a terrible product on the field this year. So I'm disappointed. Yeah. yeah. I, the thing is the record is bad. Other teams have had bad records as well. Uh, I still consider myself an outsider uh, even though I've been here since 1989 now, uh, but not I'm not an Edmontonian born and bred. This was always the, from the outside, the Cadillac of franchises. And yeah. you, even if you take away the Grey Cup rings, which are substantial, 
the the talk was from people who'd played here or who'd had a place here was talk about class. And I know that becomes a cliche in sports, all class act, blah, blah, blah. But Mm -hmm. person after person led me to believe that I saw it firsthand. uh, When I'd get through with hockey, I'd come in, whether I was at the journal or the sun and help with some uh, coverage of football when my time off was up and you'd talk to the people uh, and Dwayne Mandrusiak, I remember talking to him shortly after this happened. Dwayne Mandrusiak to, to this day will not say anything to put this club in a bad light. He lived for this club. He served it well for 49 years. But when that happens, to me, it overshadows the record. When you yeah. treat people, whether it's a Dwayne Mandrusiak or uh, some things we've heard about the way they've treated treated other long time employees there. It does not sit well with people who actually believe that the Eskimo way is more than a slogan. I agree. And people had high expectations for the organization. I mean, they want to be part of something that has, um, that stands for something more than winning and losing because you can't guarantee wins and losses. There's no guarantee you're going to be a juggernaut every year, but you can do things Right. If you know what I mean, you can do uh, the right thing for people. And I feel like they have gotten away from that. And uh, you've got to enter this with some humility. The CFL, I think, is in rougher shape now than it's been in quite some time. COVID really hurt them. I mean, there's no doubt about that. I I love having a local team. I'm not an NFL guy. I'm like, I'm not, I I don't have a team in the NFL. Like who, I, I guess I could just pick one. That's fine. But I don't live in, in the U.S., I don't live in a city, so, yeah, I can just pick a team. I can cheer for them, and that's fine. But this is your local team, and it's got to be beyond that, which brings up another, actually, subject, a pet peeve of mine, which I didn't get into uh, with uh, the Oilers, but a, a lot of teams, you know, they, they, um, they traffic on that sort of love of the team and we're your team and we're the city's franchise and, that's, and support the team, support us because it's your local thing. And then they turn around, they'll do something else and you go, well, what's that about? And they say, well, that's business. That's business. You know what that deserves? I, that deserves one of these. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Thank uh, you. Yeah. I just thought I'd throw that in. Well, that, you know, doesn't that, yeah. isn't that true though? That, that happens all the time that they, they, they just, go to the hearts and minds. They tug at your heartstrings. They do these ceremonies, celebrate their players and, and they do the thing. And then they, you know, Oh, we're raising ticket prices, 10 bucks. We're like, well, that's business. You know, I don't know why the Oilers didn't come out of the, uh, um, COVID or, or different parts of thing and say, you know what, we're dropping prices. Um, I think that would have gone over big. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) The thing with the CFL too, Mark, and you, we all know this. If you liken it to real life, it's more of a paycheck to paycheck league, like the average Joe for sure, Joan out there, uh, just trying to make it. Uh, COVID hurt them big. Sure, it hurt the NFL big too. But this is a place where even a, a franchise like Edmonton really felt that time without people in the stands. You need it's more than goodwill. It's good business to have that relationship with yeah. your fans. And if you're frankly going to treat some people like shit, that's not going to fly in the long term, is it? It's not. And, you know, the other thing, too, is you've got these players who are making, say, between for the most part, between, say, 50 and 80 thousand dollars. So, you know, and then you've got some who are very well paid. That's great. Right. Uh, So you've you've got this big group who are making as much as the people in the stands, sometimes less. These are young men who are very approachable. They've had interesting stories. They come from backgrounds that are that are interesting. They've some of them come to our country to pursue this dream they have, and it's that's a tough way to go. Like you are in the minor leagues of football, you gotta you gotta feel for them in that in that way. They they all had NFL dreams, or they wouldn't be pursuing this, right? And then you've got local kids who who went through university, got drafted by by the Elks, and they're going to be part of that team. There's all kinds of different stories there, and they can be very approachable. Uh, in an era when you've got the big team, the Oilers, where the players are not so much approachable. You've got 
players making, you know, even, even the lowest of the low are, are making what seven, I think is it, is it 750,000? Is that the, the minimum? That's the minimum. Yeah. And it's funny because how we talk about it. Oh, that guy's only making 750,000 yeah. a year. Okay. He's making 20 times what most of the people uh, can ever dream to make who are sitting in the stands. Right. And, and, and it, it, so, so that you don't have that connection as much. Now, now we've done certain, when I was in sports, this was often quoted to me uh, about, you know, when they did focus groups or surveys about what people wanted to hear. And the, the Oilers were up here at say 100. And then the football team was, was second, but it was down like at 40. The, the, you know, the Oilers were twice as big uh, as the football team. And then everybody else was below with the bears and whatever Olympic, anything like that. Yeah. So the Oilers are such, so number one that they can be arrogant about it. Not that they are, they're not arrogant. <laughs> or are they? I don't know. Uh, not Depends saying, on the I'm week. Just saying. Right. So I, I, that's the opportunity then that the football club has, the Elks have, to make a connection with people. And they're blowing it right now. Well, let's let's kind of put an exclamation mark on this and take a look at two events that happened at Commonwealth Stadium in the past 10 days mm-hmm. where the Canadian men's national soccer team put over 100,000 people in for two games. That's pretty impressive. Not only was it fun, it gave fans an opportunity to show that they're tough and to go out in crazy weather to support a sport that has been surging for a long time in terms of participation. But now we've got a good reason because we're seeing a lot of those kids who have developed now actually uh, not not only succeeding, they're surging. It's fun fun to watch. Absolutely. And and there is another instance of being very smart with your pricing. I think the top price was was it 35 dollars yeah 22 is on average i think is what it was well i think the then you had most of them were at 20 22 was whatever the surcharge was right oh that's a fantastic price and everybody's like okay yeah let's go for 20 bucks yeah we're gonna go and i knew lots of people who went and and took their families and that sort of thing and and rallied i mean having alfonso davies is kind of you know the hometown kid is fantastic to have that as a promotion but also the team seems like it's up and coming and let's, let's support this. I, I thought, Oh, great. They're probably, I bet they'll get 40,000, but you know, getting, you know, selling 52,000 for the second game, even though they didn't all show up and, and just under 50 for the first game. <laughs> that, that's fantastic. But you know, the Edmonton soccer club, uh, they should have been out there, uh, piggybacking on that. They should have been passing out a free ticket to everybody who walked through the door for their next game. Yeah, that's an opportunity missed. However, we also understand there's politics involved. I don't know if the Canadian soccer folks were kind of keeping them arms distance away from the event. You might be right. It, it, it's quite possible. And then really quickly, I'm starting to think about it. It came up in a conversation in the drive into work this morning into the studio here. Uh, me and the 15-year-old talking about the Battle of Alberta. And oh, yeah. I said, we were talking because the Flames yeah. and the Oilers are right there at the top of the heap. Yeah. And And he said, but we've had this Battle of Alberta now for a long time. Why is this so special? And I said, look, Parker, it's real simple. When teams from Edmonton and Calgary play in the playoffs or Labor Day, there's something special about it. I said, it will eat people alive emotionally if we go through an Edmonton and Calgary playoff battle at the NHL level. I'm excited about it now, and we're just at the end of November. What about you? I don't think I don't think we've ever had these two teams be really good and competitive against each other in the social media era. No, we you haven't. I mean? You're right. Yeah, it, it's been a while, right? I mean, back when the Flames went to the Cup final, then the Oilers went to the Cup final uh, following them. Uh, even at those times, the teams weren't that competitive against each other. They just happened to... I don't want to say they got both got lucky, but they, they had fortunate draws and they made it through and they had great years. But there's been lots of times when one team has been way better than the other. And lately, it's been the Flames uh, better than the Oilers. Now that the Oilers are on the ascendancy, I'm actually surprised that the Flames are right there with them. But it's great yep. because who do you love to hate more than, than Calgary? Nobody. <laughs> you know, and it's good for the National Hockey League to have. Absolutely. Uh, two good teams in Alberta. You know, we're seeing a little bit of that too. And now we're getting the Battle of Florida. I mean, that's that's doesn't have the history that the Tim Hunter uh, uh, against all the Oilers days had. But if you're of a certain vintage, for a long 
time there, you're going, yeah, Battle of Alberta. I don't think so. Uh, You can call it that. Both teams are bad or one team is bad. You need those playoff games. Um, Hey, they're not going to be what they once were because the rules have changed, but you can have great intense hockey and that would be a huge sell to actually have it in the league uh right now wouldn't it well for sure and i think that what i mean part of it is proximity that's why you have those and you have two good teams in florida so it's kind of fun to have that battle but in alberta you have so many people because we are so close three hours away by car you have lots of Edmontonians who live and work in Calgary and lots of Calgarians that live and work in Edmonton, then go back and forth and you're there often. Like my son lives in Calgary. So I'm going down there all the time. So, so there's an actual rivalry between the cities that goes beyond sport, but sport is such a representation of that. And to have, to be proud of your team and to, Put it in your other guy's face. It's <laughs> so much fun. <laughs> well, I lived almost two years in Calgary. I've lived most of my life and grew up and, and was born in Edmonton. And I always told people in Calgary, if I wasn't living here, I'd live up there. And I've uh-huh. told people here, if I wasn't living here, I'd probably be living down there because I think we're very fortunate to have two cities uh, of the uh, stature of both Edmonton and Calgary. But the rivalry thing is a lot of fun. Listen, we've, che- we've chewed up so much of your time here. This has been fantastic. We'll obviously have you back again, but uh, uh, great job. You continue to do a fabulous morning show on CBC Radio and keep it up. And thanks for being with us today. I appreciate it, guys. It was fun to talk about sports for a while. The Outsiders is brought to you by the Macintosh Group at Remax River City. So here we are. We're inching a little bit closer to Christmas. And you would think that in the Metro Edmonton market, things would be slowing down a little bit on the real estate front. But it's surprisingly very steady right now, which is great. Brent McIntosh is just back from his European junket where he was representing Canada, along with other REMAX agents from across Canada. They were over in Europe having some fun, but Brent's back now, and he's quite pleased with the way things are moving along. In fact, he just sold a home for a really good friend of mine, Chris, just recently. took about 30 days to to, uh, sell, and then Chris went on and bought another home in in the market, so... There is definitely something going on, and it is a positive. But if you are looking to sell your current home and maybe buy something new, then make sure you give them a call at 780-464-0075, or you can check them out online at macintoshgroup.ca. They'll start you off with a complimentary evaluation of your current home. There's no obligation at all, and certainly no deadline for this offer, but don't let the market pass you by. So both buyers and sellers are more than welcome to call the Macintosh Group at REMAX River City. You can do it directly. Once again, the phone number, 780-464-0075, or you can find them at macintoshgroup.ca and tell them the outsider sent you. Well, it's amazing what happens when you're taping your podcast. The, the hey, bro, Rob and I, this is not. You just can't throw breaking news out without breaking news music like this. So we were just talking about the Edmonton Elks and what should they do. And while we were talking with Mark about what should they do, they went and done it. Let's tell everybody what happened. Well, I tell you what, as far as good timing goes, this uh, this qualifies as that. The uh, Edmonton Elks uh, have blown up the whole works on top. The board, uh, quick uh, release, the board of directors of the Edmonton Elks Football Club has terminated the contracts of President and CEO Chris Presson, General Manager and Vice President of Football Operations Brock Sunderland, and Head Coach Jamie Elizondo, effective immediately. Uh, Gonzo Alonzo for all three of them in a move that I think if you just go through what we just talked about with Mark Connolly had to be made. The good news is the board of directors looked at the situation, saw the same thing, and it's done. So now you can get on with a fresh start. Okay, uh, my initial take on it was, I can't believe this happened while we were taping, but it (laughs) frequently does. And in the podcast world, we kind of caught this. And uh, as for the the moves that the football club made, I found it hard to believe 
and I thought a lot about this over the weekend, that they wouldn't do something big. They did something big. They had to do something big. And yep. the question I now ask is, did they wait too long? And will they, how long is it going to take to re, I guess, uh, reestablish with the fan base here that they're ready to move in a new direction? And I guess it really depends on the hires that come as we move forward, does it not? Yeah, I, I agree. But here, here's the thing, Brennan, you know this. Uh, actions speak louder than words always, always, always. Yes. What we know what they're doing uh, from the immediate release uh, is they're bringing in Wally Buono to help with this transition. Uh, no indication at this point he's going to be a part of the uh, Edmonton Elks beyond that, but he will help in the transition. But here's the thing. We are told... Uh, based on uh, Twitter uh, and uh, the news release, they want to have uh, people in place this year. That means in basically another within the next month. Now, the one thing I wonder about, and it's not the only thing, but given what we've talked about, Bryn, and I know uh, we talked about it with, with Mark, we've talked about it virtually every time we've talked about the elk situation. This won't cause everything to be right but if you want to make one step you can call it symbolic if you want and it's funny i noticed ryan rashrog from tsn has put out a tweet that sort of echoes something i've just said you know what you do one of the things not everything one of the things you call up Dwayne mandrusiak and you say Dwayne, would you be interested in coming back for that 50th season if you are we are, and you go from there. That doesn't right all the wrongs, Brent. It doesn't change the record on the field, yeah. other bad decisions that have been made, but it damn sure puts your money where your mouth is when it comes time to saying, look, we got off the track here. We went down some wrong roads. We're getting back on the right track. Yeah, I'm going to kind of let this settle in a little bit and let it soak in a little bit over the next few days and uh, I'm with you. They had to do something. They've done exactly what I think a lot of people wanted, and that was a, a clean sweep. Now, the next most important thing they do is, you just talked about a symbolic one, the, but the real question to me is, there's two questions I have. One, is it too late, as I just pointed out? The other one mm -hmm. is, who are you going to put in there? Because who yeah. you put in there now, you, there's no room for error for the board. They've got to get this right. This has got to be 100%. 100% correct in their hires from this point forward. And the question is, are they going to do a re... Is it going to be a retread? Is it going to be somebody who has been a general manager at another CFL team somewhere else? Now, there's something to be said for familiarity with the league. However, mm -hmm. I'm looking for something new and exciting and something that makes me think that they're going in a completely new direction, not just re another retread. So mm -hmm. I don't know. Like I said, I got I got to let that one soak in a little bit over the next couple of days as we think about this. But any final comments on the Elks and this big uh, this big news this morning? Well, Ed, this was a case, Bryn, of better sooner than later. The questions remain. Okay, yeah. who comes yeah. in? Uh, what does you know? What part does Wally Buono play? I mean, you want to talk about a familiar and a proven face? If he can help in the, if anybody can help in the transition, Wally Buono can. Yeah. Then you got to yeah. get it done. We'll see what names come up, uh, but at least there's a starting point now. And I've got. I bet you on the call-in shows and the reaction among the fan base. And let's face it, in this league more than almost any other, your fan base, your paying customers, the people who come through the turnstiles, if they're not on board, you're in a world of hurt. And this franchise has been in a world of hurt for a few seasons now. Time to get back on track. One last thing for me. Watch the fan base very carefully and see how much, how much of a splash this makes. Because yeah. if there's not a lot of backlash or splash or applause – then you're going to know the franchise is really in big trouble. So that's what I'm, I'm more think about it. Now I'm going to be very curious to see how much play does this get in the city? Because if yeah. it doesn't get very much play, then I would be very worried if I were the Edmonton Elks, because you've, what you've done is you haven't just flown under the radar. You've dropped off the radar. Is that yeah. fair? 
Yeah, it's fair. I don't think we're there yet, but that's why we got to let it play out, Brent. Okay, we got other stuff to talk about, but we, of course, you know, we just have to end it with this. I got to tell you, I went and sat in the seats. The Edmonton Oilers were entertaining the Chicago Blackhawks at Rogers Place on Saturday night. I usually don't notice this kind of stuff very often, Robin, but on this particular night, it was so unbelievably overpowering, I couldn't help but notice it. It was right in front of me, too. Right, Right in front of me. I was at the one end. The Chicago Blackhawks, to me, are really not a very good hockey club right now. And obviously, they're going through a level of transition. It has been a crazy year for them in so many ways. A lot of it is self-induced. And uh, But I wanted to talk about, there was about a, a shift or a time space of about 4 minutes and 53 seconds, I think is what the official time was, where the Edmonton Oilers, with their third or fourth line, got into what I call the perfect cycle in the in the offensive zone. They had the Chicago Blackhawks reeling. Caleb Jones was the guy I really felt sorry for because obviously he's back now playing where he played a little bit with the Edmonton Oilers. But the Edmonton Oilers' third and fourth line had the cycle going so spectacularly, the puck never left the Calgary zone. And you could see the Blackhawk players are getting more tired and more tired. The next thing you know, so after lines three and four did a perfect cycle, they decided to throw line two on, which, uh, you know, I thought was kind of interesting. That line never, ever let the puck get out of the Chicago zone. So now we had three perfect cycles with three lines. And then it was the Connor McDavid line stepping on, and I'm thinking there's no way Chicago's going to get out of here without a goal being scored against them. There were a couple of close calls. But four minutes and 53 seconds of what I called the perfect cycle where you're able to throw all four lines out and they just did it to perfection. It was really noticeable to me. Pretty powerful stuff. Well, yeah. You know what? And I was thinking, I was smiling while I was watching it. A, in all my life, uh, I have never seen uh, a shift that long. Yeah. Uh, And B, I thought... It would be really cool if somebody on the PA just fired up uh, Sweet Georgia Brown and played it uh, while the uh, Oilers were looking like the Globetrotters. I tell you what, a lot of the Blackhawks, especially you mentioned Jones, to me, they looked as stiff-legged, and you'll remember this, as Grant Ledyard did when Todd Marchand zipped around him for the goal we all remember here. Uh, in Edmonton, you, your legs, no matter how well you're conditioned, aren't meant to work for four minutes plus uh, at a National Hockey League pace. Yeah, that was that was a, a once and forever uh, situation there. Well, and I was also catching the broadcast, uh, John Shorthouse and also uh, John Garrett on Sportsnet Pacific. It was the Blackhawks playing in, in Vancouver, which the Blackhawks won, I will I'll point out. Uh, we could talk about the Vancouver Canucks. Maybe we might have to go to Vancouver here in the next week or so because I think the shit is going to hit the fan very quickly. However, they did show a good chunk. They sped it up. They showed that four minute and fifty second uh, that that power of, of the Oilers, and and they focused in on Caleb Jones. And they said that it's one of the longest recorded shifts in NHL history since they've been keeping tabs on that stuff. But it was pretty. It was pretty crazy. Uh, and the other thing I want to talk to about, too, and we touched on it with, with Mark Conley, I'm really loving the fact that the Flames and the Oilers are doing what they're doing this season. The Calgary Flames are surprising a lot of people, not necessarily me. I don't know about you, but it's great to see both Alberta teams at the top of the heap in the Pacific, and it just makes me more excited about the playoffs, and we're not even at the U.S. Thanksgiving mark yet. Yeah, you know what? I ended up in a lot of back and forth last season with some uh, of our readers at Oilers Nation. They love to let you know when you're wrong. And when they brought Sutter back in, I thought after a short transition time that he would get things turned around and the Flames would become a force down the stretch. Well, they never really got it going, and it surprised me. Now, yes, there's been some changes, but this is more the look of the Calgary Flames team I expected uh, when Sutter first came in. You know, again, tweak the lineup. It takes a while to get everybody on the same page as you. But, yeah, this is good. You know what? This is good for Calgary. 
it's good for Edmonton. Um, if they're the two best teams out West, uh, that's perfect for hockey in Western Canada. Also driving into the Road 55 studio this morning, listening to the NHL Network on Sirius XM, and I can't remember who was talking, but the one thing that they proclaimed was right now the best team in the entire National Hockey League, and they did apologize to Carolina, but they said <laughs> the best team right now is the Calgary Flames. And I thought to myself, they're playing really well. They're playing Sutter kind of hockey. They're playing defense first. They're getting great goaltending. And the guys who are the offensive talent guys have bought into the defense first thing. So, yes, they are playing exceptionally well. I also thought the Edmonton Oilers got to be loving this a little bit because it pushes them a little bit below the radar, although it's pretty hard to do when you have Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl lighten it up the way they are. Yeah, and here, another thing, too, and it's a, it's a sidebar. I mean, uh, folks, we, we can stop talking about should the Edmonton Oilers be interested in Marc-Andre Fleury? Uh, a, he's not coming here. And B, uh, what's wrong with Stuart Skinner and Miko Koskinen? Somebody check their statistics. I'm not sold on Miko Koskinen uh, as a long-term guy. In fact, he is absolutely out of here when this year of his contract is done. Or March, Mike, trade deadline. Yeah, and Mike Smith is getting old and creaky. Uh, but I tell you what, I what I want to see for now, uh, allowing that, you know, you can always change your mind. Forget about Marc-Andre Fleury. Let's see if Stuart Skinner can keep doing what he's doing. Marc-Andre Fleury is no spring chicken. He's not quite as old as Mike Smith, but he's not going to come here. Why would he at this point in his career? So let's worry about who's actually here and then take it from there. Because right now, goaltending is not a problem for the Edmonton Oilers. You don't need to be asking about what about this guy? What about that guy? No. What about the guys that are here now? They look okay to me. And once again, when fans start throwing names out there, you got to do the first thing you have to do before you do anything else is go, does the math work? And for Marc-Andre Fleury, the math simply is not even looking at the Oilers' cap situation, unless they were absolutely to unload a few guys, the math does not work, so that wouldn't work. And as for what will happen when Mike Smith gets back, and I guess we could talk about what exactly is going on with Mike Smith, but, you know, we'd be speculating. No sense in talking about that right now, but when Smith does get back, you know who's going. It won't be Mikko Koskinen. You tend to always keep your high-priced guys around, Right. Now, Miko, I think, is going to be, if they're going to ship him off, he's going to be the of the two senior netminders. He'll be the guy that they'll try to ship off. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I see Skinner going back down to Baco uh, as soon as Mike Smith is ready, regardless of how he plays. I just, uh, I, I, I think the, I've, I've seen, I've been in meetings, actually, at the NHL level behind the curtain where you tend to always keep the expensive guy because you have to justify that contract. So we'll see whether or not, uh, we'll see whether or not the Oiler brass decides to go away from that. But Skinner has played fine, fine in my books. I've been very impressed with him, quite frankly, other than that one little gaff in Detroit, but that's a, that's a, that, that gaff where he coughed up the bad goal behind his own net, where he tried to bounce it off the wall. We, when did he play in Detroit last? That's the one advantage of, of a home team. They know exactly how their boards react. It just seemed to me it got caught. I don't think any. I don't think the Oilers had even been in the new rink, have they? Uh, which one? The with COVID. I mean, have they been in Detroit since the Joe? Uh, you know, I'm pretty sure that they've had a couple of games in there, but okay. but nonetheless, it, it's still if you're a young guy and you're playing in there, that would have been his first game in there. You're going to make those mistakes, right? You don't know how the glass plays. You don't know how the end boards play. So, hey, listen, all can be forgiven. Anything else you want to touch on before we bolt? No, I think I'm. I think I'm good, and I, I, uh, I will pat myself on the back for not going on and on. I think I've mentioned the media division of the 1990 street ball tournament yes. more times when we haven't been recording yeah. than when we have, but it was nice to see Mark again and talk to him all these years after we waxed him on the court, but I won't mention that. Yeah. Don't bring that up. 
and I will not be cutting it. We don't, you know what? We don't do any editing on this show. Just in case some people said, how much do you, how much of the stuff that you talk about, how much do you edit? We don't really edit very much. You well, pretty much get the raw stuff from us, which is uh, the way it should be. I it's think. nice of you to say that. I, I, I've got to say here and now, I do appreciate you editing, uh, trying to edit all my questions down to under four and a half minutes, but <laughs> nope, I, I don't do anything like that. We let people hear it the way we kind of record it. So that's it. Hey, before we get going here, make sure you check us out on Twitter. The handle's really simple. It's at outsiders 2020. We could use a few more followers, Robin, by the way, I know some yeah. people who check us out, but aren't following us. So once again, at outsiders 2020, also, make sure you tell your friends to subscribe or follow us. Our RSS feed is out there on any of your favorite ear candy sites like Apple, Google, Spotify, Pocket Casts, Deezer, etc., etc. And we're also on YouTube. And uh, Robin records from his luxurious studio in Southwest Edmonton. Do you have a name for your studio? Like, is there a special name like Robin's Place? Uh, no, but I, uh, you know, I, I, I may come up with it. I, and, and you know what? I may at some point slide downstairs into the office where, oh, here's an original background where all the sports memorabilia is. But uh, we'll see. Right now, it's just home base, uh, you know, Cameron Heights here in, uh, in uh, lovely uh, Edmonton. Uh, it, it's, it's all good. And I record in the big room here at the Road 55 studio in downtown Edmonton. The big room is what I is what I call it. I'm going to go and work in the big room, and and Rob Lalisher uh, kind of gets it and uh, leaves me alone, which is really great. Your support, greatly appreciated. And uh, also, we're always looking to add stuff to the show, so make sure that you, uh, you keep in touch with us. We're getting bigger and better with your support. The amount of downloads lately has really surged. The past two to three months has really been noticeable. So make sure you keep retweeting to your buds, and uh, that's about it. Robin, thanks for your time, and, of course, we'll talk to you next Monday. Looking forward to it. Yep, talk to you then, man. Hi, guy, boy. Have fun storming the castle.